A reading from Romans. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Hi, everybody. In our learning about lamentation this month, we've been saying that laments usually follow a three-step pattern or outline, beginning with a protest or a complaint to God about how our lives and world have gone off the rails, including our puzzlement, frustration, and confusion, sometimes even anger as to why a good and loving God has allowed this to be so. Moving then to petition, asking God to do for God's sake, something about it. And then concluding with praise, often a recitation of past experiences of God's rescue of people like us from earlier times of distress like this, and an expression of confidence that such a God can be trusted to save us again now. So protest, petition, praise. And for the last two weeks, my sermons have focused on that opening protest portion of lament, calling it a loud religious ouch, an expression of the spiritual pain we feel when all of a sudden it seems like God is not in his heaven and all is not right with the world. Or like a wrestling match with God that God both instigates and rather enjoys because it keeps us holding tightly onto God and God holding tightly to us, while together we grapple with the issues of life. But now today, I want to move on to the middle petition part of lament, where we ask God for what we want and need, and plead with God on behalf of others. And to do that, I want to call upon the life and guidance of the Apostle Paul whose words about prayer were in the reading from the 8th chapter of Romans that you heard just before this sermon. In that letter, Paul speaks about what he calls the sufferings of this present time, meaning not just the struggles that he personally faced, which were many, not even the struggles that the early church faced, which were also abundant, but the groaning of the whole creation, that was waiting eagerly, as Paul said, for God's redemption. This fallen world, groaning like a woman in labor who can't wait for the birth to happen 
and for the pain to give way to an unimaginable joy. Paul says that that's what it's like to live in hope, hoping for what you cannot see and waiting for it. I guess with what you could call impatient patience. And it's important to note that those words from Paul aren't just the musings of a philosophical mind or a bookish theologian. Paul is speaking here from his own very painful and real experience, which he in another letter lists as having included hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonment, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. And so when Paul says that in such times of struggle, we may not know how to pray as we otherwise would, and that it's precisely then that the Holy Spirit steps in and intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. We can know that Paul is speaking from his own lived experience, from his own heart. He knew what it was like for the list of prayer needs to grow beyond what your ability is to name them all and what it's like when the things that are happening around you are so unsettling and so far beyond your understanding that you don't even know what you want to ask God to do about it. Paul knew what it was like when your prayer is mostly just a deep and wordless sigh. And more importantly, he also knew what it was like when God answered such prayers. The book of Acts has several such stories that I could choose from, but today I want to share one of them from that book's 16th chapter. Paul is on his second missionary journey, and for the first time he has crossed into Macedonia in modern-day Greece, bringing the gospel of Jesus for the first time onto European soil. In the city of Philippi, he starts a church helped by a successful businesswoman named Lydia. Only trouble soon follows. Following the example of and in the name of Jesus, Paul casts a demon out of a young woman. And you'd think that the people who knew her would be pleased about that. But it turns out that the young woman's demonic spirit gave her the power of divination, a power that others had exploited by turning her into a fortune teller and making quite a decent living for themselves in the process. So, when Paul cast out the demon, out went the fortune-telling, and gone was the income to her owners. And Paul quickly learned that people who willingly tolerated religious debates and discussions by street-corner preachers quickly got very nasty when it interfered with their ability to make money. And since the concerns of people of substantial means even back then got a far quicker response by the authorities than those of less connected and less affluent people, Paul and his companion Silas soon found themselves arrested, beaten with rods, and thrown into prison, their feet fastened in stocks. And so now I'll let Natalie tell you what happened next. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. 
Suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. And that's a pretty amazing story. And you remember how it started when Natalie started reading? It started when Paul and Silas led a midnight prison prayer service. They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening in. And while the book of Acts doesn't tell us the content of those prayers, I'd be willing to bet my 1956 Mickey Mantle Most Valuable Player baseball card that they weren't praying for an earthquake to come and break their chains and open the door. They weren't praying for the jailer to turn suicidal because he thought they had escaped and he knew that his head would be on the block for it. They didn't pray to decide to then stay put so that they could save not only this jailer's life, but eventually his very soul by telling him about Jesus and converting him to their faith. See, I'm sure they didn't pray for any of that. But that is what God did. That's what God heard in their cries for help and in their sighs, probably too deep for specific words. God heard their prayers and, yes, answered them by not by doing exactly what they asked, but by doing something far beyond what they could have even imagined, something wonderful, something creative and life-giving to them and to others, something new. So it was the Paul who got arrested and beaten and thrown in jail and then saw what God did to answer his wordless sighs, and who had probably a dozen other experiences just like that in the past, who then later wrote to the Romans about a Holy Spirit who helps us in our weaknesses, and who, when we don't know how to pray as we ought, intercedes for us, steps in for us, and turns our deepest sighs into bright ideas in God's ears. And that, my friends, leads to this advice to you for that petition part of your lament. First, don't worry about being too specific in your praying and what you're asking God to do. Don't try and solve God's problems for God or for you. If by the nature of lamenting you're already saying that you don't understand why things are the way they are, then why should you expect to know how to make them right again? or that you'd need to give God instruction on how to fix things. Last week, we asked you to tell us in 10 words or less 
what you've been praying for most these days. We again received about a dozen responses, only some of which observed our 10-word limit. Most understandably these days, people were praying for protection and continued health for those on the front lines of this pandemic and for their loved ones. Others prayed a bit more broadly for all those who grieve losses, for those alone and isolated, or for our country to find its way, for reason to prevail, and for us to learn from this experience. And there were also a few who kept their petitions more open and broad, expressing deeper desires, but leaving God the room to decide the specifics. And while giving voice to our specific desires is fine when we can name them, and God certainly wants to hear them, it's also good to remember that in times of lament, a deep sigh is also enough. In the year or so before I came to Holden, I was meeting each month with a spiritual director to talk through the unsettledness that I was feeling in my present call and life. Through my sessions with him, I developed a three-part pattern of prayer that has stuck with me ever since, and that places my life and concerns in God's hands without telling God how to resolve them. Each part of that prayer has just eight words. I begin by praying, draw me to you, O God of grace. And I simply repeat that phrase over and over until the distractions of the day slip away and I find myself in God's lap. Draw me to you, O God of grace. Then I shift to praying, show me your paths, O God of grace. And I repeat those eight words over and over until a variety of possibilities and options for action come into my mind. Show me your paths, O God of grace. And then I conclude by praying, grant me your peace, O God of grace. And I repeat that phrase too, until I feel enough calm and confidence and care to climb back down from God's lap and back into the day that is ahead of me. Grant me your peace, O God of grace. And since that spiritual director was a Jesuit priest, he also taught me the Ignatian practice of consolation and desolation. In that middle part of pondering various paths before me, praying for God to show me your paths, O God of grace, I was taught to pay attention to which of those options that came into my mind brought me more consolation or brought me confidence and peace, and which of them brought desolation, left me more troubled or unsure or simply empty. And that was a helpful way to move from part two of my prayer into that piece of part three. Draw me to you. Show me your paths. Grant me your peace. None of those prayers instruct God 
or steer God to my preferred outcomes. They instead simply open me up to what God might do. So perhaps you might try out that pattern of prayer as part of your practice of lament as well, at least when words can still help and you're able to manage something more than just a deep wordless sigh. But always remember that the sigh all by itself is already plenty. Remember Paul and that midnight prayer that turned a beating into broken shackles, a dark dungeon into a family dinner table and a threatening guard into a new brother in Christ. Since we have a God who can do more than we can ever ask or imagine, don't worry if your imagination fails you when it comes to what you might ask for in prayer. Just pray, hold me, hold my loved one, hold your world in loving arms, show me, show my loved one, show your world the way to go. Guide me, surprise me, keep us, bless us with your peace. And then leave the details and the specifics to God. Remember that lament is all about trust from beginning to end. Even the Amen that ends our prayers says that much. Amen. So be it. As you will, Lord God, thy will be done. Amen. Shepherd me, O oh God, beyond my wants, beyond